You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Our scripture reading tonight is Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. If you want to take a minute and find that, your Bibles in the um, back of the pews or find it on your device. Once again, that's Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. Please stand if you are able for the reading of God's word. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also." so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, I've always uh, loved... Christmas, I love Advent, but I love Christmas Eve especially. That's my favorite day of the year, and um, I love it because I like anticipating the gifts more than getting the gifts, um, which is kind of an odd thing. I've always, I love gifts. I remember when I was little getting um, 
Richard Scary train sets. I don't even know if they make Richard Scary stuff, but um, I love getting rubber animals, uh, plastic dinosaurs, blocks. I remember when I was in uh, middle school getting Atari games. It was the very first video game they made, Atari and Tank. Um, was the was the big deal, and I remember getting Atari. My mom would sometimes leave certain presents out that were unwrapped, so we'd run into the room with a Christmas tree, and there it was, and we just scream. And now it's more like gift cards. I get a lot of gift cards um, to the Loop and Kava and Chopped and uh, Chipotle, which I love too. Um, but it's the anticipation, it's the waiting that I, I really, really love. Like last night's worship service was so beautiful. Um, even though it was really, really cold, it was just uh, the anticipation of the, the, the time of day, the sunset, looking out over the city. And these two, uh, these two Hebrew prophets that are fascinating characters. I mean, people don't think about Anna and Simeon enough, I don't think. Um, they're right there after the shepherds. So you get, we always think about the shepherds. The wise men don't come for a, you know, quite a bit of time. He's actually like a, he's, not, he's not an infant anymore. He's more like a toddler when the wise men get there. But these two, Anna and Simeon, this is just a few months after he's born. So this is one of those encounters on Christmas that we don't think about enough. Um, And these two prophets, Anna and Simeon, one male, one female, they they waited a long, long time, a lot longer than Advent season. Um, And they're waiting for a gift that's a lot better than any of the gifts I lifted or any of the gifts you got. Uh, They're waiting um, for the consolation of Israel. It was what he had waited for his whole life. God had revealed him, I don't know at what age, but in verse 26, God revealed that he would not see death before he saw the consolation of Israel. And I don't even think he knew what that meant exactly. But in some way, that the whole nation of Israel would be consoled by God in a powerful way. He knew that he would not die. And he's now getting very old. And um, so he is waiting for this like, with a deep, deep hunger. And then Anna is um, living in such a state of longing that it says in verse 37, she stayed in the temple all the time. She did not depart from the temple. She worshiped and she fasted and prayed day and night in the temple. Uh, What an amazing figure she is. Um, Not enough is um, said about her or written about her. This prophet, Anna, one of the last Old Testament prophets, and she will not leave the temple. We also know about her that she's been widowed for a very long time, maybe 50 years. So her husband died when she was very young, pretty newly married. So she's lived with a heartache her whole life, longing for this consolation of Israel. She won't even leave the temple. And I want to look at the thing they're waiting for, which I keep saying is consolation. That's what it says in the text. And I want to look at what uh, they do when they get That consolation, which is they marvel. They marvel at the consolation of Israel. So verse 25, the first point, they were waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's not a word we use a whole lot. Um, It's basically when you're very upset and someone comes and soothes you. They console you. Um, If you go to a really good counselor, a therapist, a lot of that time you're feeling very consoled by that. A good friend... Uh, when you're really, really sad and devastated by something, they can console you. So consolation is when you feel forsaken or alone or abandoned. Or in Israel's case, they were in exile. They were in exile for years and years and years. And uh, it was devastating to them to live apart from the land. 
They were sent into exile. And in exile, Isaiah says, Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Your bondage is over. That's consolation. That same word comfort, comfort is console, console. So God is saying, in your exile, I'm going to console you. And Israel is still in their exile because Rome is still dominating. Just as Babylon dominated them when they first went into exile, the exile did not end when they came back to the land because the glory of God had not returned yet. So they are still living in exile here. That's what Simeon and Anna are longing for, the end of the exile. They're longing for this Isaiah passage to be finally fulfilled. The comfort of God would come. Um, Israel is weary and homesick and waiting for God to come back to them. And, you know, the Roman Empire was just trampling uh, her people under their feet. I mean, the, the, whole, the whole temple, the tax that Caesar Augustus levied upon them, they were just taking away parts of their food. You know, the Roman, the Roman soldiers would come with their carts and they would just put, they would put like a lot of their produce or maybe even a lamb on the cart and just they, they would watch it go away. So Rome, that these empires were just dominating them. And they're being trampled under the feet of the empire. And that's why Simeon is so tired, he's ready to die. He says, now let your servant depart. I am exhausted. And as soon as I see the consolation, he's ready to go. And Anna, whose husband died young, you know, maybe was the victim of the Roman Empire. Because they, there was so much stress they put in the body of the people of Israel. Uh, maybe that's why he died. But again, they're longing for the consolation of Israel. And I just think about ourselves. Think about yourself where you are right now. Um, and if you need consolation. Sometimes um, Christmas is the ultimate com- consolation. I remember when I was in college and uh, that winter exam week was really, really tough for me. I, um, I would often get sick. And um, at the end of that week, I was so anxious, uh, I would just be very, very exhausted and could not wait to get back home and experience, you know, sleeping in and shopping for Christmas and eating good meals with my family. And for, for, for a lot of you, the, the great consolation of Christmas is that you're together right now, that you're with your family. And family is incredibly consoling. Isaiah 66 says, as a mother comforts her son, I, the Lord, will comfort you. And your limbs will be as fresh as grass in spring. So being with family can be like making your, just rejuvenate your body, your whole body. So being with family is a form of consolation, especially when you're away from your family, to see your family again. But for others of you, family is what you need to be consoled from because family is so hard. And maybe you're even going to a situation tonight, or maybe you just came from one, and you need to be consoled from that or going into one. But sometimes it's the most painful part of Christmas, either that it's not there or that it's broken. But the thing I love about Christmas is it's not a holiday of hearth and home. It's not a primarily a family holiday. Um, the Lord has comforted Zion and all her ruined homes. Isaiah 51.3. The Lord has comforted all the ruined homes of Zion, all the broken homes of Zion. So whatever the consolation is that you need, consolation is not getting what you want. These two did not get what they want. In verse 29, Simeon says, now let your servant depart in peace because, and it doesn't say because now I've seen the Roman Empire fall. And nor does Anna say, now I'm consoled because I have a husband again. Um, Rather, it says, 
Let your servant depart in peace, verse 29, for my eyes have seen. So it's not the absence of pain or the absence of exile. Um, It's not the absence of stress. But it's seeing this thing in the middle of it all. That is what is so consoling. Namely, the face of this two-month-old child that he's looking at. It says in verse 28, he gathered him in his arms. He gathers the Messiah in his arms, this little, tiny, two-month-old baby. Very poor child, impoverished. They offered only a, um, a pigeon. It's all they could offer. A lot of times, the purification offering was a, a lamb. But Mary and Joseph had almost nothing. And so they just offer a little pigeon. So this poor child in the temple, Simeon is looking at this child. And it's romance, health, family, gifts. None of that stuff would have been enough for Simeon. He's looking at the face of the Messiah. At the one who is the consoler. And so that's what they're waiting for. And that's what you need is consolation. Through the face of the Messiah. Looking into the face of Jesus. And if you haven't experienced that before, um, I can tell you in 1991 at Christmas time, when I did not know the face of Christ, um, I was longing for something. And then just a few weeks later, I read this book, amazing book, Mere Christianity. I read the book and I, I, in reading the book, it was like I was looking to the face of Christ and it was consoling, deeply consoling. So that's the first point is that we're waiting for consolation. And when we are consoled, the reaction is to marvel to marvel at this thing that we're looking at. Verse 33, his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. They marveled that in the face of this child is the light of the world. That shining out of the face of this child is a light to reveal God to the nations and the glory of Israel. Verse 32, the face of this child is a light that reveals God. If you're ever wondering what God is like, Read the gospel stories. If you want to know what the face of God is like, read the way that Jesus treated people. Uh, Read the way that he talked about God. Um, Ask someone about stories about him. Just just look at the gospels and look at the portrait and think about the face of this man who uh, suffered so much, you know, with a crown of thorns and scars and, and face of love. Uh, he is a light to reveal God to the nations. I think about like an, an, a big old kind of clear bulb with that little filament inside. And he is like, he is the light. And then this, he lights up this huge room with just like a, a gallery of Rembrandt paintings. You know that when the light shines, when, when Jesus comes and he shines, it just reveals uh, to us our true glory. He shines and the whole world is lit up by the glory of Israel. And it says that he's not just a savior, that he is salvation. I love in verse 32 that he doesn't say, my eyes have seen the savior. He says, my eyes have seen salvation incarnate. That that face is what salvation is. Uh, There is no salvation apart from the face of that child. So it's not like he leads you into salvation other than himself. The salvation is the consolation from looking at the face of Christ. And again, I would implore you, if you don't know much about him, just you know, read the Jesus Storybook Bible, which we have copies of up here in these bags right here. Um, read, uh, read, just some, read the Gospel of Mark. Um, but in the face of Christ is the salvation you're looking for. 
Because salvation is not about anything you do. It's not about turning your life around. A lot of him, like, the story of Scrooge is amazing. I love the Christmas carol. I love the way he turns his life around. He's totally redeemed. Um, and he goes from this horrible miser to this incredibly generous, loving man. But that's not salvation. Salvation is not keeping all the rules. It is actually Jesus who kept all the rules for you, which is why he was purified. The purification offering was only needed because of sin. He was not sinful. He, he did that purification offering so that he could keep the law for you, so that he could obey for you and give you his obedience. God doesn't need you to do anything to be saved. Salvation is just like looking at the face of Christ. Kind of like in that painting right there, just looking into the face of this child and being consoled by that. Just the consolation that you know that the Son of God knows you and loves you. Imagine Anna colliding into her Savior. I, in verse 38, the way it's written is it's like it's clearly this um, kind of moment of synchronicity. Like this moment where um, it's this massive coincidence. So it says that he, coming up at that very hour. I imagine like Anna is coming down this sidewalk in Jerusalem. And then here comes Mary, Joseph, and the baby coming this way. And then they suddenly bump into each other. Coming up at that very hour. And when she sees the consolation, I don't even know how she knows that that's the one. But something in her just clicks. It's like a geyser just goes off. She just explodes into marveling. She began to give thanks to God and speak to everyone about him. Verse 38. I imagine her just running around the temple. You know, maybe, the, maybe for the first time she left the temple now because she saw the consolation. But imagine this woman, this older widow, fasting and praying and worshiping her whole life in the temple. She finally sees the consolation and she's just running around. I've seen him. The one who all I've ever wanted is in his face. And now I've seen him and I'm telling you about him. And I'm sure she's telling people to go look at him. He's right in there. The Messiah of Israel, the one who will console Israel that in the exile he is here. The, um, of the top 10 highest grossing films of all time that made the most money, four of them are Marvel movies, which is amazing. Um, that four of those, they're not even great, great movies. I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of fun to watch, but these are just not profound movies. But they're, they're Marvel movies. And I, I think that uh, Marvel works so well because superheroes um, fill us with wonder. I mean, all these superheroes, of course, all the Marvel movies are about superheroes, or many superheroes doing things together, but we just desperately want someone to come and save the day, like Superman, or, you know, stuff. he's not Marvel, neither is Batman, but, uh, you know, Spider-Man, okay, someone like the Thor, coming and fighting crime and protecting victims and casting down evil and lifting up the downtrodden, that is what we want, it's, it's marvelous. We marvel when we see these superheroes doing these amazing things. And the real superhero of superheroes, he's the king of kings, lord of lords, and superhero of superheroes, is this child, this baby, who consoles people and redeems people and has done it for billions of people. Two billion today around the world and many more in the past. But just think of all the many people who have been consoled and redeemed By this child. Verse 34 says, This child is appointed for the fall and rise of many. The ones who are fallen are going to be the ones that destroy. Herod will fall. 
and Pontius Pilate will fall. And the corrupt Sanhedrin will fall. Uh, The high priest Caiaphas will fall. You know, all the powers of the empire will fall. All that breaks our bodies and our minds and our homes and our bones will fall. When Mary first heard about Jesus, she said, uh, he has cast down the mighty from their thrones. And not only do they fall who destroy, but they rise. The ones who are humble will rise. He has exalted those of humble estate, Mary says. Mary is so fierce in her prayer. She sounds like you know, Karl Marx or something like that. But her prayer is so fierce. He, he has cast down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. So this child will be appointed for the fall of everyone that destroys and the rising of those who have been broken, the broken bodies. He will repair the minds. He will repair the homes. He will repair the bones. Because he will cause his mother's heart to be pierced with a sword. I mean, what an incredible thing for Mary to hear. That this little child who she's so proud of and who Simeon is so excited about, suddenly Mary hears, oh, by the way, this child is going to be like a sword through your heart. You're going to be devastated by him. Because what he came to do was to pay for our sins. That's what he came to do. He came to bear all of our, all of our wrath. All of the terrible things we do, he came to bear it all. All the, all the empire's destruction, he came to bear it all. And, and we who are betrayers, who are traitors, are consoled at this table. Because Mary's heart was pierced by that sword. Remember, we love these rascals.